You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are in John's Gospel. This is the book that God wrote through human authors. It is the best-selling book in the history of the world. It is the most translated book in the history of the world. It is the most loved most hated, most debated book in the history of the world. This book is all about Jesus. And we're spending a whole year going through one of the books in this Bible is the Gospel of John. Written by one of Jesus' nearest and dearest friends while he was here on earth, John tells us what he saw with his own eyes, heard with his own ears, because he was there for the life and ministry of Jesus. Today, it's about a conversation Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus, and the story is not included anywhere else in the Bible. So had it not been for John writing this down in his gospel, we wouldn't know about it. But it's a tremendously important conversation, as this could be something God uses to unlock a new understanding of life for you, a life with Jesus. A life filled with freedom, a life filled with joy, a life filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to jump right into John chapter 3. The very first verse starts this way. Now, there was a Pharisee. All right, who are these guys? These are very religious guys. They would memorize whole books of the Bible. They not only went to school, but they aced everything along the way. They were like the varsity religious folks. Problem is, they were more conservative than God. They loved obedience. They loved holiness. They loved the law, but they don't have as deep of a love for God and for people. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, that means... Probably he was part of what is referred to as the Sanhedrin. It's something that the Apostle Paul was also once a part of. He came to Jesus at night. Okay, why at night? Maybe because he's a little scared, a little hesitant, a little reticent. We're going to call him Nick at night. (laughs) And he said... Rabbi. Now that means teacher. It's a little unusual because Nick at night is an accredited, approved teacher. He went to school. He got the credentials. He has a PhD in God. Jesus didn't go that route. He doesn't have the same credentials, humanly speaking. But he has the authority of the Son of God, and Nicodemus acknowledges that as he goes to Jesus to learn from him. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now he's getting close. It wasn't that Jesus came from God, that he actually is God. Nonetheless, Nicodemus continues, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Here's what Nick at night says. I teach a class on miracles, 
but you do miracles. Jesus heals people, blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people walk, and Nicodemus is trying to figure out why. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The big discussion among the theologians of the day was, who's the king? When's he coming? How do we get into the kingdom? You can't go into the kingdom, Jesus says, unless you've been born again. Now, Nicodemus' next question, you're going to see that he is totally confused. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And how many of you moms right now are going, yeah, I'm glad that's not the answer. Nicodemus is asking, how is this going to work? I don't blame him for asking the question. Sometimes in the church world, we use lingo that outsiders can't really grasp, and maybe even some insiders. So we're going to need to unpack this issue, this born-again expression that really is only used in Christianity. That's the theme of the day, and we're going to touch on that. But first, the story continues. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, born of water may mean baptism. It may mean natural, physical birth. What do we know must happen, at least most times, before a mom gives birth, we say that her water broke. So to go into the kingdom of God is not just to be born It is being born again, not just born naturally, but being born supernaturally, not just being born of a mom, but being born of the Holy Spirit. Adam, if you'll take it from here, if you can, we may have just lost everything, did we? While that technology is an issue and it's rebooting, um, I'm going to keep going. Jesus goes on to say, flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay, that's natural birth. But the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So that's your supernatural, your spiritual birth. And he says to Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. That what Jesus is going to do next is compare the Holy Spirit to the wind. Now, Let me be clear. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a person. Jesus is going to get into a discussion in chapters 14 and following when we finally get there about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. So I want to be clear that what we're talking about is not some impersonal force, but Jesus is using the analogy to explain power and presence of the Holy Spirit when he says, this is back to verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Next verse, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I guess you realize you can't control the wind. 
You can harness it, but you can't control it. It goes where it wants. It does what it pleases. And what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is like that. He is free. He is powerful. He is unpredictable. Some people struggle with the work of the Holy Spirit because they want God to work like an Ikea furniture piece. Step one, step two, step three. And if I follow the instructions, it's easy. I get through it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he is free. Free to go where he wants, do what he wants. And sometimes the Holy Spirit does things in ways that you and I can't anticipate or predict. But that's the way God works. And the Holy Spirit brings the power of God. Let me use an illustration from, from flying. If you've ever boarded a, a plane and, and you realize that you're going to a certain destination and a day or two later you're leaving that same destination, coming right back to where you were, have you ever noticed that not all the flight times are the same in those two directions? Why is that? Because if you're flying against the wind, it's going to take longer. Conversely, if you're flying and the wind is with you, it propels you along and you get to your destination quicker. Life with the Holy Spirit is life with the wind at your advantage. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be work sometimes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to hit turbulence along the way. What it means is if you want to obey God, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. If you want to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. If you want to be in the will of God, you're like, okay, God, show me what you want me to be, who you want me to be, what you want me to learn, what do you want me to know? I want to live in your will. So what Jesus is talking about here is a new birth, a supernatural spiritual birth by the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, was promised, prophesied in the Old Testament that when Jesus came, he would take our sin and give us the Spirit. He does that. He does both. He takes our sin and he gives us the Spirit. And by the way, you won't have a better trade-in deal than this anywhere. To give your sin, get back the Holy Spirit. This was predicted all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 36 when God says this. We're going to try this again. <laughs> he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That's a heart of rebelliousness and foolishness and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the promise was made that God would put a new heart, taking out that heart of stone, putting in a new heart. The heart is mentioned about 900 times in the Bible. It is the sum, the seat, the center of who you are. It is the invisible center of your being. It's talking about your inner life when it's talking about your heart. And what God is saying is that you don't need to be just a better you. You need to be a new you. So he takes out the old you and puts in the new you, puts in you the spirit of God to bring the life of God into your life. So now the question arises is, how does this happen? Is this something that God does or is it something that I do? So we're going to take a deep dive here. 
some of you, I, I don't mean to, to lose you, but it may be a little confusing for now, but let's consider how does someone get born again? Some would say, you know what? You choose God, and when you choose God, you're born again. Question, can your old heart choose God? No, it can't. So the old heart doesn't know God, won't listen to God won't long for God. That's your old nature. Let me remind you of what God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. God says three times, I will, I will, I will. So let's go out on a limb. Who does it? God does. This is the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus because apart from a new heart, you are spiritually dead. And what he's saying is to Nicodemus, you are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. So let me ask, is Nicodemus spiritual? Yeah, he is. Remember, he's a Pharisee. He's one of the, the ruling class, religious elite. That means he knows the Bible. He teaches classes about God. He goes to synagogue every Saturday. He keeps all the feasts and festivals. He tithes a percentage of his income. He doesn't eat pork products. He has this long list of things that he does. In fact, in the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 613 laws. And Nicodemus, as a Pharisee and a teacher, would have memorized all 613 and sought, to the best of his ability, to live them out. This is his life. He prays, he goes to church, he ties, he teaches the Bible. He's very spiritual, but he doesn't have the spirit. You can be spiritual. But it doesn't matter if you don't have the Spirit. This is why there are people who are very devout. Oh, they're good people. They do good things. But if they don't know Jesus, they don't have the Spirit. For the Christian, spirituality begins and ends with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. You are physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Now, here's what the Bible will say in Ephesians chapter 2. First verse is this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. These are people who are like Nicodemus, born physically, but not born again spiritually. They have an old nature, an old heart. They don't have a new nature and new heart. Skipping to verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. What the Bible is saying is that people who don't know Jesus may be physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. What kind of decisions do dead people make? None. So how does a dead person decide that they're going to have a relationship with God? Here's the point. In case you haven't heard it the last seven times, Nicodemus is physically alive, but he is spiritually dead, doing spiritual things, but he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So how do you go from death to life? How will that old heart get taken out and the new heart put in? Is that something you do or is that something God does? It is something God does. Think about it in these terms. 
none of you birthed yourselves physically. In the same way, you don't birth yourselves spiritually. You didn't cause yourself to be born physically. You can't cause yourself to be born again spiritually. Now, you may think, okay, but I thought we were supposed to trust God. We were supposed to cry out to God. We were supposed to choose God. We are, but out of that new nature of a new heart. What happens when a baby is born? What is the first sound we want to hear? Crying, right? You want to hear that because then you know they're alive. They're okay. They cry, you're happy. The problem is they keep crying. It's not so joyful then. (laughs) You know you've been born again when you cry out to God. I love you, God. You're born again. God, I need you. You're born again. God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. You're born again. We do choose God. We do long for God, confess our sins to God, trust in God. After he causes us to be born again, that's our response to him out of a new heart. And you know what it causes you to want to do? Read the Bible. To get in touch with God through his word. The Holy Spirit who wants to reside in you will want to give you the desire to open up the scriptures. You know what all this is? It's really an experience. It's hard to put into words. It's falling in love. What's that like? Well, you can describe that to somebody. You can, you can use words. But unless you have experienced it for yourself, that's what this is. It's falling in love with God. When you're born again, you've changed and you are changing. The Bible uses various expressions for this. Born again, regeneration, new heart, new self, new creation, alive together with Christ, in Christ, a tree that produces good fruit. If you're a Christian, you're all of that. That's you. Now, that doesn't mean we won't still struggle with sin. But your new nature causes you to hate sin and love God. That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. If you're a Christian, you have a new nature, and with that new nature come new desires. This is all in that conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And what he's saying is, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. How do you know if you are? How, How do you know if you're born again? Well, first off, Who do you think Jesus is? Born-again people all agree that he is God, that he lived without sin, that he died for my sin, that he rose as my Savior, and that he wants a relationship with me. Non-Christians, non-believers won't think that. John 3, verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. He's still confused. Jesus You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I thought you were a teacher of the Bible. I am the subject of the Bible. You're arguing with me. You should be listening to me. As your pastor, do I believe 
that the Bible is truly, completely, perfectly God's word? Absolutely. But let me say this. You can know the Bible and not know Jesus. You can come to church and not know Jesus. Nicodemus has probably memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. But he doesn't know Jesus. Now, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to open up the Bible because the Bible is all about Jesus. But just because you know the Bible is not a guarantee you know Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is going to have this conversation in John chapter 5 where these religious leaders come to him and he tells them this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is saying, this is all about me. I am the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, Jesus would say. So you don't understand the Bible if you don't know Jesus. Nicodemus knows the Bible. But he doesn't know Jesus, that's an issue. If you're born again, you not only know the Bible, but you know Jesus, the hero of the Bible. Next verses. Jesus still speaking, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus' most used title of himself. It occurs about 70 times in the Gospels. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, where it's talking about God coming into human history as a man. It's a clear declaration of his divinity. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus two worldviews, two ideologies. One is about ascending, one is about descending. Now, here's what we know God is in heaven, we're on earth. God is holy, we are sinful. How do you bridge that gap? How do you reconcile that relationship? Everything, except for Christianity, is about how we try to get up to God. Every other religion has what, I, what is referred to as works. I just simply would call it religion. In some fashion, they teach you how to ascend. You got to die. You got to reincarnate. You got you to pay off your karmic debt. You got to live a good life. You got to have good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You got to make a pilgrimage to a holy place. Nicodemus is operating under a works theology. One problem with that is how will you ever know if you've done enough? The other problem is if you think you have done enough... <laughs> Then you become judgmental over everyone else. You didn't do it like me. You're not as far along as I am. And that becomes pride, which is the worst sin of all. It doesn't bring you closer to God. In fact, it's a tremendous offense to God. The other option is descending. That's Jesus. 
that we don't go up to God. God comes down to us. This is all about the love that Jesus has for you. Before Jesus came to earth, where was he? In heaven. What was he seated on? A throne, right? He comes out of heaven, off that throne. He's born in a manger. When he is in heaven, he is worshipped by angels. Day and night, he hears from them, holy, holy, holy. He comes to earth. And what does he hear? Crucify, crucify, crucify. Why go through that? Because he came down to be with you, to love you, to embrace you, to forgive you, to pursue a relationship with you. That's why the Bible is called good news. By the way, let me say this. We are all saved by works, but it's Jesus' works, not your own. That's where religion gets it wrong. Religion says something needs to be done. And Jesus says it is finished. I have done the work. You see, we believe that on the cross, Jesus took our place. On the cross, Jesus paid our penalty. On the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of God and suffering in our place for our sins, his death for our life. And then the question is, what's your eternal destiny? Now we go to John 3.16. It begins this way, for God so loved the world. For all other religions, their God only loves their kind. So different people groups have different religions because that false God only loves their kind of people. You got to think like these people. You got to be from this ethnicity. You got to know this language. You got to be from this culture. God made all people, all tongues, all nations, all tribes, all cultures bear equally his image. That means he loves them, us, all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How do you know what love is? Look to Jesus. Love is more than words. It's actions. If I said to Lori, that's my wife for those of you who don't know, not just somebody random. <laughs> if I said to Lori, I love you, but never did anything for her, then I really don't love her. Love is something you feel, but it's always what you do. He gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here, all of human history is separated into two categories, those who perish, those who have eternal life. Let me make this as plain as I can. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You are born again. You are adopted in the family of God. You are a child of God. Your eternal destiny is secure. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has come down to us, that he lived the life that we should have lived, that is a life that's perfect, that he died the death we should have died, that is death for our sins, 
that he rose to conquer Satan, sin, death, and hell, that we are saved solely, exclusively, totally, eternally, not by our works, but by his finished work. If you don't believe that, then your current condition is that you are on a path toward perishing. That you will die and you will stand to give an account for your life. But you won't stand to give an account before a mirror. You won't look at yourself going, huh, I did pretty good. You won't stand comparing yourself to somebody else. Well, I'm better than they were. You will stand before the risen Lord Jesus and give an account for your life and hear an eternal sentencing and destiny. My job is to give you the truth. Your job is to make a decision. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the issue. Jesus continues, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus talks more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Jesus depicts it as gnashing of teeth, as wailing in pain, as a lake of fire. He, it's de he depicts it with the, the worst terms because he's trying to deter anyone from going there because God wants to be clear with Jesus heaven without Jesus hell forever and ever the question is are you saved or condemned eternal life or eternal perishing with Jesus or against Jesus and I know in our culture it's not pop popular and fashionable to be this clear but I need to be this clear because this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life But I want you to hear me on this. You need not worry about the condemnation part if you believe Jesus came for you, that he has a relationship with you, that he has forgiven you, that he died on the cross in your place. You don't need to worry about that condemnation part. In fact, he goes on to say it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. He will take you and love you and forgive you and embrace you and serve you and fill you and, and change you and never leave you. Next part of that verse, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's very clear. Believe in Jesus. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. The light of the world is Jesus. But... People loved darkness. And I think that would include and explain our current cultural condition. People loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And then to finish this off, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that they are, their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What he's saying is this. The born again person says, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus, you found me. That's amazing. You want to shine your light on me? You want to love me and forgive me and have a relationship with me? You want to spend forever with me? And all I've got to do is believe in you? You will take my sin and give me the Spirit. 
And the Spirit is going to change my nature, change my destiny, change my passions and desires into new passions, new desires. You, you mean I'm going to live a life that is fully alive and then I'm going to die and be with you and there will be joy forever? That's exactly what happens. That's why it is called the good news. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.